Hey there. We're so glad you tuned into our podcast today. We wanted to let you know that beginning June 3rd, we are shifting to our summer schedule and we will be having one worship experience Sundays at 10 a.m. If you want to find out more, visit our new website at wearefreedomlife.com. The engineering that's required to build skyscrapers, particularly the super tall skyscrapers, it's actually quite a marvel. Um, What many of us don't know is that it takes an incredible amount of detail behind the scenes to orchestrate the demolition of large buildings like skyscrapers. Experts say that when they're going to tear down a skyscraper, that it is one of the most precisely planned, strategic, and delicately balanced engineering feats that any engineer could ever witness. One explosion after another explosion after another another eventually leads to large clouds, but in their hopes and in their assessments, all of that will be confined to a certain area. How many have ever seen some sort of building demolition of some sort? Well, if you have not seen one, I want to show you one of them is a clip from South Padre Island, Texas, where a 31-story, 378-foot building, which set a world record for the tallest reinforced concrete building ever exploded, or imploded rather, in this case, in 2009. Here's a clip of that. I want to show you that. Friends, that's how it's done. That's how it should look when you implode a building that's 31 stories high. Now, at the time, that was the Guinness Book. I believe there was one that happened since then that's a a little bit uh, taller. The, The building was a little taller. But be that as it may, when you engineer something that tall, you kind of build it with the intention of just building it up. When you got to take that thing down, how many know that if that goes wrong, it could really go wrong? Especially in the cities, certain places where there are surrounding buildings. I mean, that could go terribly wrong. And when I thought about this, I thought about how this is very similar to discipleship. Let me explain for a moment. Because in discipleship, We believe that God wants to break down some things in our lives, but we want him to break down those things in our life in a strategic order, in a way that would cause us to grow from it and not affect those around us. And what happens is God is definitely in the business of wanting to to tear and strip some things from our lives, but he wants to do it in his perfect time, watch this, and in his perfect way. So when you look at that, sort of implosion, you look at the order of it. Did you see how it ex- when it exploded, everything came down? Not down and, and affecting everything around it, but rather straight down in an orderly fashion. And it just collapsed and imploded within itself. That's what we want in discipleship. 
you and I, whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not, God wants multiple explosions in our lives to bring down the things that don't belong there anymore. We want God to explode and also implode certain things in our lives. Now, when we do things outside of God's will to try to get God's will, follow me now, sometimes we've, how many have ever realized that you've done something, you know, you know you're supposed to do something about it to get God's will, but you went about it the wrong way. So in other words, God's will, not God's way, right? Or whether you make a mistake or whether you realize later, oops, I should have done it this way or this is not what God called me to do, whatever that looks like. You know what that is, right? It's explosions, unstrategic explosions that cause us to tilt. And you know what happens? We affect those around us. We come down crashing and affecting people around us. When we do God's will without doing it God's way, we kind of do the same thing. And many of us are, watch this, many of us in this room are living repercussions of that. Where we allowed explosions, but not strategic ones. Not God-given ones. We just made decisions that we thought were right. Hey, this is a good idea. I'll try this. And then those explosions have affected those around us. Whether it be our family members, our loved ones, and so on. Does that make sense? I talked last week about greater. And this is greater part two. Kind of following the, the idea that God has called us to be greater than he is. And I don't know about you, but that's a very tough, tough thing to do. But discipleship and following Jesus, there's a call that God has put on us to make sure that we realize that he systematically has set up explosions in your life so that you can then come down to where he needs you to come. And those things that are in your life that don't belong there, how many know there's some things in our life that they, they sit and they fester for a long time, and when they, when they come out, they, they need to be torn down. But it hurts. One thing that we have to note is that the Lord is not against explosions, but he is against un, unscheduled, unstrategic, explosions that go off in our life that affect those around us. Listen, he wants you to be greater, but not so that you can say you're greater. He wants you to be greater so that you can fulfill the purposes he has for your life. It's for his kingdom, not ours. It's for his kingdom, not ours. So when I talk about greater here this morning, I want to talk about, last week I talked a few, about a few things in regards to uh, greater. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about what I talked about last week, if I could recap that for a moment. I talked last week about the picture of discipleship. Today, I want to talk about the prophet and the promise of discipleship. The, first, the prophet. Last week, we spoke about how Jesus would do greater things, uh, would do great things, but then he's called us to, to, to do greater things. Very truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even what? Greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. See, the enemy thought if I can take him out, the will of God would be thwarted. But see, 
You didn't take out one, you multiplied one. When you took Jesus out, you multiplied him into the 12. One had some issues, but we'll deal with that another day. You multiplied into multiple other people, and so what happens is the greater principles begin to disperse among others. And here are the three things I talked about last week. I said you must lose to win. You must give up to gain, and you must die to live. That makes no logical sense. But the kingdom of God is not logical. I also know that it was Christ's aim not to just gather crowds, but to grow people in the crowds. To grow the people in the crowds. You know his intention is not just for you to come to church. His intention is for him to grow you every single time you're among, around his people. Every single time you're around his people, every single time you pray, every single time you crack open his word, he wants to grow you. And so I talked about three things. From deny himself, take up his cross, and follow you. That's what he wants to do. Take, deny yourself. That's daily decision. Take up your cross. That's devoted duty. And follow me. Diligent devotion. Let's look again at Luke 14. Because I want to talk to you about greater. Greater. Luke 14, if you have your Bibles, reads like this. Beginning in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now hold up, hold up, hold up. This is not a way to get people to follow you. This is not like, like if you got a group of people that are interested in joining your church, like I would have, I probably didn't do it right, but maybe I should have put in the covenant partnership. Like, hey, by the way, in order to become a member of freedom or a partner at freedom, you need to do these following things. Hate your father and mother. Check it off when you're done. Right? When you're done, check it off. Uh, um, your, your wife and your children, hate them. Check. Brothers and sisters, hate them. Check. Like, that is not going to grow a church. Most leadership places would say that was... Not what I would do. But Jesus was going further. He was so advanced in what he was trying to say that people probably stood back and said, wait a second. What is he saying? Look at what he's saying behind the words. Because we understand that that, when we look back at the translations, we understand that he wasn't quite saying hate, but he was saying hate in comparison to how much I love my Savior, how much I love following him. You, you follow what I'm saying? He, he said to them, listen, following me is not a surfacey thing. You know what I'm talking about? To say yes to Jesus is not a surface project. It is, it's a service project. To follow him is not a surface thing. It's not, you know what, this is really fun and dandy. This is great. This is, you know, this is, you know, it's so much fun to follow Jesus. And to, but that's our American version of Christianity. Sometimes following Jesus is straight up hard work. When your coworkers are saying things and doing things and you're like, that's not right. I said it last week, 
Jesus looked at Judas and he called him friend. Then he looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's opposite of what the world would do. You know what? He said, you need to hate your life also. In other words, you got to love your life with me so much that your old life, it's not even in the picture. It's dead. It's gone. It's not even in the picture. It's gone. I love my wife and my children, but I love my Jesus so much that if I have to go on a missions trip, I'll be back. Maybe. We don't know, right? My wife hopes I'll be back. But I don't know. It's about how much you love. So let me, let me make this really clear. When we talk about being greater, it's about what you love. What do you love? What makes you love? Life, the real you, not the Sunday you. The Lord is saying whatever lives in your life for long periods of time is what you will be remembered as. For instance, if I walked around, and I wish I had one with me, but I don't. If I had, let's say, a baseball bat all the time. I carried a baseball. I love baseball, right? I carried a baseball bat everywhere I went. Every time you see me, you see me with a baseball bat. Every single time. If I was to pass away and you would come to my funeral, no doubt someone would come up and go, you know, Tony, he was a good man. He was a short Puerto Rican from the Bronx. I remember him and liked to eat wings. Loved him some steak. He was a carnivore for sure. But one thing I remember, man, is he loved him some baseball. In fact, everywhere he went, he had a bat. At first, I thought it was a threatening thing. But he just loved baseball so much, he carried a bat everywhere he went. I would be remembered for that. Because what you're passionate about, you will pursue. And what you pursue you'll be remembered for. So my question is, what's your passion? What do you love? Right? And so when you think about it for a moment, what, what drives you will later describe you. There was a movie called End of the Spear. I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, you should. It's a story of Jim Elliott, missionary, to forgive me, I don't remember the, the island and the people, but it was a very remote people that, in fact, they were completely off the map. Like, people didn't even know they existed to roundabout when he went. And uh, Jim Elliott, not to give away too much, but if you haven't seen it by now, you should. He gave his life to, to try to bring the gospel to these people. And he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, in order to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, go for it now, lose it forever, or forsake it now and gain it forever. He wasn't looking for the promise. He wasn't looking for the great. He was looking to bring the gospel to people who needed to hear it. That was his goal, and he gave his life for that. Later, there's a great testimony that comes out of that, of people coming to Christ. 
It's an amazing story. I don't want to try to go into that too much, but man, it is an amazing story, amazing movie. End of the spear, story of Jamaliet. Jesus made reference to some of the, those people who followed him with superficial commitment. He made this statement because he needed, to, he needed them to understand something. And here's what he needed them to understand. That only what you do for God will last forever. Only the things you do for Christ will sustain. I remember as I read this parable of the soil in Matthew 13, 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares for the world and the deceitfulness of riches. They get choked by the word and they become unfruitful. You know what? There's people that have loved Jesus but then got caught up in the world. Look at me. People that love Jesus and got caught up in the world. Can I tell you something? Discipleship and following Jesus, while it's not a pretty thing, I know I'm teaching a little bit this morning, but I need you to hear this. I remember being 15 years of age, and I remember coming to Christ, and here's what I remember. I remember there was a few people that came to me and said, I'm so glad you came to Christ. I'm so excited about this commitment you've made. Just start to crack open the word and and just start learning about who Jesus is. And then there were other people that said, here's what you got to give up. You got to give up this. You got to give up that. You got to give up this. You got to give up that. You got overwhelming. Overwhelming. I'm going, I'm still trying to get out the door. Like I got to get, like I haven't even left the door and they want to tell me all the things I'm supposed to give up. Like slow your roll. Like relax. I'm still spelling Jesus and you want to tell me everything about my life that's wrong. And, And so what happens is we kind of get into this idea that somehow, some way, we're supposed to correct all these things right off the bat. But listen, let's just start with what do you love? What do you love? And when it comes down to it, what do you love? Do you love money? Do you love yourself? Because those things will become barriers in the kingdom of God. The second question is not just what do you love, but how you love. How do, you, how do you allow discipleship? Look, at, if you're telling me you're a follower of Jesus and you're having trouble with what I'm saying right now, then I need, to, I need to really have you get a grip that this right here is what true following Jesus is about. Because I'm trying to give you nuts and bolts and also understand something that, that following Jesus is more than going to church. I thought I'd get one amen for that one. I'm going to work harder. I thought I'd get one, but that's okay. I'll work harder. Disciples are people who give, who serve, who love, and who go. They got to be ready to give. That means generously and unselfishly. That is what following Jesus is about. No ifs, no ands, no buts. If you hold on to everything you have in you, 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 you just kind of hold on to it. Guess what? You hoard, you hoard, you hoard. When you die, where does it go? It doesn't go with you. Disciples are ready to give. They realize, man, if I could do something in this world that's, that's temporary, that could affect eternity, isn't that an investment? If I can do something in this world that would affect somebody, and cause them to know Jesus, isn't that, doesn't that mean that I'm investing eternal in, in eternal principles and eternal things? 
that's ready to give. Ready to serve means I'm making myself a far second to all those around me. Someone said the true definition of joy is choosing Jesus, others, and yourself in that order. Ready to serve. Ready to love. Ready to love means in a world that screams for tolerance, tolerance, tolerate everything, tolerate everything. We're supposed to be accepting of everything. Listen, we have gotten miscommunication as to what tolerance is. Because some, some people who are screaming for tolerance can't tolerate the fact that I don't believe like you. That doesn't mean I hate you. Because some of the people that I, I tolerate the most, some of the people that I, I, I kind of don't, I disagree, with the, I disagree with the most, I love them. It doesn't change how I love them. It doesn't change how I see them. We disagree. So what? That doesn't mean I have the right to hate you. And guess what? That doesn't mean you have the right to hate me. I got to be ready to love though. Just because... I love you doesn't mean I have to accept everything you believe. But I have to understand something. I have to stand on my own two feet. And one day I'll give an account for everything I believe and everything I do. And I'll stand before a living God who asked me, what did you do with the death of my son? Tolerate doesn't mean I have to believe just like you. And so I realize. That in the world that's screaming for tolerance, I have to love people. Straight up, just love people. That's what God, God didn't call me to, to, to agree with thy neighbor. Hello? The Bible doesn't say agree with your neighbor. It just says to love them. I don't have to agree with you to love you. You can love someone and not agree with them, and that's okay. We agree to disagree. The command is to love, and that is non, that is non-negotiable. Thank you. Non-negotiable. I had it there. Couldn't get it out. Loving is non-negotiable. It's a command. So I got to be ready to love, and then I got to be ready to go. Go the extra mile. Go to the cross. Go wherever God says go, even if it's not convenient or fun a true disciple has to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus faithfulness to God is paramount to the faithfulness to man you follow well you have you, you got to be faithful to God you got to be faithful to God yes absolutely and sometimes that means some relationships have to come in second so what, I, what does that look like? Well, John 12, 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. We think, we think for a moment, if I give my life, then I'll never be able. No, 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 you don't understand something. You can die long before you leave this earth. And that's what God is calling us to do. If we would die long before that our, our spirit man would die long before our physical man. See, I died July 30th, 1993. The moment I said to Jesus, Jesus, you are my Savior, you are my Lord. I died that day. 
Now, there was a process from that day to this day. And that process has brought me up and down many implosions. And some of them were just straight up explosions. That affected those around me. Sometimes you make bad decisions. You know what you do? You pick up the pieces and you move on. Right? You pick up the pieces and you move on. See, the wake-up question is this. What could possibly be worth more than your soul on this earth? What is, what is there in this earth that's possibly more important than your eternity? Well, the question that Jesus asks us all is, what are you willing to give up for me? And that's discipleship. I know it's not pretty, guys. I know I'm not hooting and hollering. I know I'm not preaching and cracking jokes. But you know what? I don't feel like I'm supposed to crack jokes right now. I'm telling you, part of discipleship, it's, it's the nitty-gritty stuff. That, that When I don't feel like going to church, I go to church. When I don't feel like reading, I read. When I don't feel like praying, I pray. Come on, somebody. That's how you become greater. That's how you follow Jesus. That's how we become everything he's called us to become. So what's the profit in it? So watch this. The profit of discipleship. What's the profit? What's the reward there? What do we look forward to? Well, let me tell you three things. Number one, Christ's return. He's coming back. Church, he's coming back again for a spotless bride. He's coming back. He's going to crack the eastern sky. And when he comes back, he's looking for a bride that's ready for him. Dressed and ready. Christ's return. The second thought is not just Christ's return, but he's Christ's reviews. How many have ever seen a review before you've seen the movie? How many heard a review? You can see them and you can hear them. A video of somebody saying, oh, this was the greatest movie ever. And you got other people, this was a horrible movie. Don't waste your money. And one way or another, you felt disappointed by the review. How many have ever been disappointed by the review and you haven't even seen the movie? You're like, ah, man. I was really hoping that would be a good one. They say, oh, it's great, it's great, it's great. Then you see it, it's like, that was a waste of my, I want my two hours back right now. I'll get the money back, but I want my two hours. I can't get my two hours back. I'll settle for the money, though. (laughs) It was a horrible movie. Then you have others that gave a great review, right? They gave a great review like, man, or rather, no, they, rather the other way around. They gave a, a poor review like, this is, don't see it, this is a waste of money. And you see it and you're like, what are you talking about? That was a great movie. I really liked it. Or maybe you heard a, a, a coworker say something about it. When you saw it, you're like, I didn't see that. I saw great character development. I saw a great storyline. And you're thinking, man, you almost ruined the thing for me. The review, the review. The real question is, what will Christ review be like of your life? Because you and I will stand before him and Christ will give a review. He'll give a review for our lives. And this is not a scare tactic. You hear me? This is not a scare tactic. This is, this is Bible. This is revelation. This is what God spoke of. And I'll go to that in a minute. But he says in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us shall give an account to himself for God. Romans 14, 12. And then 1 Corinthians says another thing. It says here, it says, watch this. For no other foundation can anyone lay in that which is laid 
which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. In other words, you know what he's saying here? The gold, the silver, and the precious stones, that's good material, quality material that you want to build your foundation on. But those who build it on wood, hay, and stubble, inferior materials, you know what that means? Surface-based faith. Your faith is only Sunday. Your faith is very, very, uh, it's become obsolete. You're not really living this thing out. God says, I want you to have a foundation that's built on gold and silver and precious stones. Why? Because that will withstand the fire. So here's a thought of that. What will withstand the fire? Well, here's what will stand the test of fire. Are you ready? That which is motivated by love. If you're motivated by being, by being popular, don't be a preacher. If your desire is to be popular, don't be a preacher. If your motivation is to get money and do all these things, there are certain professions you shouldn't seek. But if you're motivated by love, if you do everything you do motivated by love, that will stand in the fire. That will stand in the fire. That which is, secondly, that which is empowered by God's spirit. Listen, if you do something in your flesh, you do something in your gifting, you're good at something. You're really good at something, but God never called you to do it. It'll be great in man's eyes, but it'll fade. And it'll burn up in the fire. But what is done, empowered by the Spirit, that will last and stand the test of the fire. And the third thing, that which is done for God's glory will last. If you do something for you, eventually somebody will find out that you are in it for you. And they'll think, ulterior motives, everything they said is not trustworthy. Therefore, I can't trust anything they say anymore. You've lost credibility, right? If you give just to be seen, if you do just to, be, just, to, just to be seen, if you do whatever you do just to be seen, you will get man's reviews and you will get great ones. But that's where it will stop right there. Christ will not honor what man has already appreciated. So when we love, we give, we demonstrate, we're motivated and empowered by God's love, don't look for man's approval. Because that's where it starts and that's where it ends. When you do something for God, it's motivated by God, it will stand in the fire. So let me say this. One of the things that we have to recognize, the third thing is simply this, Christ's reward. You know, those that don't know Jesus will stand before God and he will look in the, in the book of life and he will look for their name. And if their name's not written in there, he will cast them into the lake of fire. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. But then there's the believers. The believers, those who follow Jesus. You know what he says? He says he will open up the books and he will give an account. Each one of us will give an account to what we did and reward us accordingly. I didn't, I didn't make this up. If you want scriptures, I'll give them to you. If you want to write this thing down, look up Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face... 
whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, and the book of life, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were then in them. Watch this. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's a point where every believer will be judged by what they do. It's not just, I'm in the book, I'm not in the book. Fire insurance, sweet, I'm good. At least I'm not going to hell. Christians have a problem with this because they kind of equate salvation by grace, and excuse me, salvation by works, and that's not what it's talking about. This is a reward post-earthly life. And it's about what did we do with Jesus? You know what that means? What did you do in this physical world to bring somebody to know Jesus? Because this world, come and gone, right? Money, come and gone. Recognition, come and gone. But only what is done for him will last forever. So where are you investing? Your time? Or like my friend of mine said, your mind, your money, and your minutes. Where are you putting those things at? Where are you investing in? What are you focusing on? Your mind, your money, right? And your minutes. Those are the things that really matter to you. And so Christ's reward is very real. We will stand before him. And so what I want to do is I want to pray with you for a moment. Can I do that? I want to pray with you for a moment because what I believe is before we, we pray, I want you to understand something. God is looking for us to be greater. How do we get greater? We define what we love and how we love. Say that with me. What we love and why we love or how we love, right? The the motivations behind that is very important. And so we have to understand that love is right in the middle of all that. What we love and how we love. Very important. Let's pray right now where we're at. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you that you called us to greater, even though I don't understand how I can be that man. Even though we don't understand how we can be those people to do greater. But we accept it and we want it. We accept the challenge, God, to do great things on this earth. Because you left this earth and you left us not Without anything, you gave us your Holy Spirit. You gave us the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Now, God, allow us to be that vessel, to extend that. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, there was a little boy who grew up not in the church and It came a point where he heard the gospel and the gospel affected him. And he heard about how much Jesus did for him and how God wanted to use him for greater things. Watch this. He came to Christ one day and he he gave his life to Jesus and he prayed a prayer and genuinely and sincerely gave his life to Jesus. Immediately, he grabbed the piece of paper of hearing the preacher saying, the things we, God wants to use you 
to do, but you got to give some things up for Jesus. So he grabbed a sheet of paper and immediately started to write down all the things that he needed to give up. Oh man, I need to give this thing up. I need to give that up. I need to stop doing this and stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that. And all of a sudden, he got overwhelmed. He went to his pastor and said, Pastor, can I talk with you? He said, sure. He said, Pastor, I have a problem. He said, what is it, young man? He says, I I started writing down all the things that I need to do better. Everyone, give me your attention. Listen. He said, I started writing down all the things because this has to do with you. Everything I need to do better. And pastor, I just feel like it's just so much. There's so many things I need to do better. And there's so many things I still need to get right in order for God to use me. The pastor said, put that paper to the side for a minute. The kid put it to the side. He said, pastor reached into his desk and grabbed another sheet of paper. Clean sheet of paper with nothing on it. He said, I want you to do something, young man. Kid tears down his face. What is it, Pastor? Frustrated, trying to understand this. He said, I want you to do something for me. What is your name? The kid said, well, my name is. He said, okay, take your name. I want you to take the sheet of paper, this blank sheet of paper. I want you to write your name on it. The kid was kind of thrown off by it. He said, okay. Here, Pastor. He says, I want you to do something right now. I want you to go to the altar and I want you to take that sheet of paper that you wrote your name on and just lay it down. Let's start with that. At that moment, the kid's face lit up and a peace overwhelmed him because he realized all he really needed to do was to give himself at the altar. That's what God is asking us to do. Yeah, you got things going on in your life. Sure, you're not perfect, but guess what? None of us are. We're sure trying though, right? But let's start with that. Let's start with just giving ourselves at the altar. So in order to be greater person, to be a greater person, we have to be willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. Or at least not many. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can right where you're at, if you're able to.